0: Hello and welcome to this podcast from Arctic Dialogue 2014, a collaboration of the University of Nordland, the High North Center and the Arctic Institute. We're speaking with attendees and speakers about their work, the Arctic Dialogue conference and the theme of Arctic resources. Thanks for joining us. I'm Malta Humpert. Today, we're speaking with Joël Plouffe. Uh, Joël, welcome to our podcast series. Um, could I ask you to briefly introduce yourself to our listeners?
1: Um, my name is Joël Plouffe, and I am a researcher at the Center for Interuniversity Research on the International Relations of Canada and Quebec. Uh, that is at the uh, Ecole Nationale d'Administration Publique in Montreal, the National School of Public Administration. I am uh, also a Fellow for the Canadian Defence and Foreign Affairs Institute, the CDFAI, and the Managing Editor of uh, uh, the Arctic Yearbook also.
0: Thank you for the introduction. You certainly have a lot uh, going on. Could you tell us about your current research or your plans for the near-term future?
1: Yeah, well, my actually my my uh, thesis research and my thesis uh, uh, topic is deals with the uh, U.S. Arctic policy making. Uh, I'm looking at it from a uh, public policy making perspective, uh, agenda setting of uh, U.S. Uh, Arctic policy uh, after the Cold War, um, trying to see how the issue continued to emerge in Washington D.C., how it stayed on the agenda, and uh, how various uh, factors had led to. Uh, make it continue to stay on the agenda. Uh, So, I look at the process making and um, uh, the construction of uh, the problem being called the Arctic as a security issue. So, that's my main research during the last many years now um, on on U.S. Arctic policymaking. And I also work on also various um, issues in the North American Arctic. Uh, Of course, being Canadian, I work on uh, Canada defense and security issues, but also uh, a lot on uh, Alaska policy uh, uh, during the last um, few years. Uh, there's a whole interesting process going on right now in Alaska, in Alaska Arctic policy making. Uh, early on, I, I caught on to that idea, and I've been continuing to do some empirical research on uh, Alaska and uh, working on uh, uh, paper right now that deals with um, uh, the public interest and public values linked to uh, Alaska Arctic policy making right now. So those are my two or three big angles uh, in the North American Arctic perspective.
0: So looking at your Arctic journey, so to speak, uh, what is the most unexpected step you've taken on the way to your current position?
1: First, I had never really expected that I'd be becoming a researcher in Arctic issues uh, when I started uh, uh, my bachelor in international relations and brought me to my MA. And that's where it really happened, where I I discovered the Arctic, uh, at least Arctic policymaking and and geopolitics and security. And then when that started and then PhD came afterwards, uh, uh, what really surprised me was very early on, uh, you know, uh, I'm talking about 2004, 2005, is already having so many opportunities to discover the Arctic's and all of the regions of the Arctic, and working with people on the field on various regional and local issues. And uh, that really helped me to understand what the whole idea of Arctic geopolitics is and all the controversy around the idea of the Arctic being a region, it is uh, said it a lot before, and many people are said that also. But the Arctic is many regions, and it's many different cultures, and many different realities, and different economies, and different issues. And when you get a chance to to actually travel and, and work with people on the field, it's it's very much eye opening. So that that really uh, surprised me from the start, and then bringing that back into my research and seeing, reading. Uh, uh, literature in a different way, and and trying to contribute in some way to uh, to advancing some kind of uh, ideas on, on on the future of the Arctic, or at least what it is now and what it might look at, you know, in in some years to come. So uh, I, I really believe in in doing field work, um, and and I think that. Uh, having those opportunities for me is just uh, a great privilege and and I uh, want to continue to uh, to travel the Arctic and and to meet people and work with uh, people uh, in the north in in all of the north because uh, like I said earlier the the differences are are humongous from uh, you know Alaska to Canada to Greenland to Iceland and all the nordic countries and uh, and Russia also or the russias if you want.
0: So speaking about the diversity in the developing Arctic, how is your work contributing to a better future for the Arctic, whatever that might mean to you?
1: I would say that if, if there is any contribution at all um, in, in whatever I do, from writing things or saying things or meeting people, um, I always put it from a uh, southern Canadian northern (laughs) north american perspective where research on policy making in the arctic and arctic geopolitics is not very much present in universities Um, and at least my contribution in in what i'm trying to do is uh, to help push that research in universities and get people younger scholars interested in the future of and thinking about policy making in the arctic in this time of climate change Um, and and also with with all the travels i've been doing in russia and, and, and in other countries is to bring at least that reality or those realities of, of the Nordic countries and Russia to the North American perspective and its reality and, and to have some kind of comparative discussions and to understand the different issues and to see from that if there are some interesting best practices in all of these regions, if there is interesting models that are you know being created in the Nordic countries that could be eventually studied in uh, some parts of northern canada for example if there is more exchanges that could be done between all of these arctic regions so i guess it's trying to coordinate that into to, to uh, help uh, um, ignite some kind of interest in in those various uh, complex issues
0: so in terms of arctic policy or issues what should people be discussing that they aren't currently talking about I think
1: people underestimate um, what human activities, increased human activities in the Arctic or various regions of the Arctic actually means in a policy, public policy um, um, uh, framework, meaning that the minute where you have more activities in all of the Arctic waters, lands, This means that there is more responsibilities for locals and states, uh, and that is a very complex issue. And we often talk about the future of the Arctic in a very abstract way, thinking that it will evolve just with the uh, climate change and the ice disappearing. But from a very micro perspective, having more people in Tuktoyotk or in Inuvik or in Anchorage or in Pudo Bay or in, in, in wherever you want across the Arctic, it just it brings more pressure locally and brings more pressure economically to the states that are governing those regions. And that is uh, sometimes overlooked and, and forgotten in all our debates. Uh, these decisions will have impacts on on local populations on the way we organize ourselves in these territories and some will be better organized than others so the whole questions of human security are different in all of these regions so i i just i just think that we should be focusing more on how human beings are are being more present in the arctic and are changing the equation of of how we organize ourselves and make decisions to uh, to make, you know, op- appropriate policies for for uh, this this increased amount of people. And to protecting them, basically, that it is. You know, that's what you need to do.
0: The theme of this year's Arctic Dialogue Conference is resources. What topics come to mind when you think of the Arctic's resources?
1: I I, I would say that talking about Arctic resources is an inevitable thing to do. I think the whole idea of... The Arctic frontier and and the Arctic El Dorado is definitely overhyped. Um, we can have debates on that, but there is a very big focused, you know, media attention that is driven by. Uh, various actors uh, coming from, <laughs> they could be coming from academia, but they could also be coming from the private sector and even from the states themselves. Uh, but I, I, you know, I was born in a, in a mining town in northern Ontario. This was not in the Arctic, but it was in the north, and it was you know a very cold place, uh, maybe even colder than Buda uh, in the winter time. It is a very lunar um, mining um, geography where jobs were all linked to uh, to the evolution uh, of this mine that was there. And what I'm seeing now and, and what I've seen in various parts of, of remote places in the Arctic is this hype is having impacts on uh, uh, locals in, ev- in various ways. Um, I think we are creating a lot of expectations. Uh, so, thinking that the future will be better because of of resources, and then, when you know different evaluations or assessments come and then people downplay the whole thing we 're creating there a lot of deceptions in in many of these towns, and that has um, uh, you know human impacts on 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 uh, various people. Who don't have, you know, uh, the best economic opportunities, and we tell them that, well, this mine is no longer coming because the market is not interesting enough, or actually, there'll be no offshore oil and gas because uh, Shell just decided to leave. Um, uh, we're creating all of these deceptions, and you know, different options do not exist. Um, so, on that point, innovation is not always there also to diversify the economies. So, this is this is very uh, worrying, and then. Um, just on on, on various um, state discourses, a lot of um, uh, misguiding uh, ideas or apprehensions on on the whole instability of the Arctic link you know the racing uh, for Arctic resources where we create more confusion than anything, and then this has impacts I think on on media and on research agendas where we 're focusing so much on on these very large uh, um, apprehensions without actually talking about local issues. So that that's that's where I get a bit um, disappointed myself and even sometimes angry on on the way we overhype uh, national resources.
0: You're making an excellent point when you're talking about how the promise or potentially false promise of resource development really affects local communities in the Arctic.
1: I, I see that, you know, mostly... Uh, when i When I look at northern Quebec uh, with the whole plan that came out some uh, some years ago, uh, that was a, a very interesting example of of playing with people's minds on you know what the future of the North could be and and what kind of economic opportunities could exist for populations, and when the whole plan just fell apart. Where you know there was not really much planning into the plan, uh people got disappointed and said well there 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 actually is no jobs, and there will not be any because the market has decided otherwise and then the politicians just put the plan that wasn 't a plan on a shelf, and then they just decided to not talk about the North anymore. So a lot of people were disappointed. At the same time, all of these mining communities are continuing to close, but we're not talking about that. We're thinking about new mines opening, but mines are closing, so you're getting these ghost towns that exist. And that's a bit, you know, my my younger years, that was my reality. Um, Other places like uh, the Mackenzie Delta in Canada, the whole pipeline issue there in the Mackenzie, it's been playing with people's minds for so many years in Inuvik. And even today, you know, is there any gas to go get in the Mackenzie uh, um, uh, or around the McKenzie, and then people are still waiting for, for the government to, to, to go forward or for companies to start working on that, and people are there and they're waiting, and then you've got the whole young generation that is there and that does not really know what to do. Do we wait to see if there are any jobs, or should, should we go elsewhere? But if we want to go elsewhere, how do we do that? We can't go for education elsewhere, so we're stuck here, and we've got nothing to do. So that gets, you know... Uh, uh, this has clear impacts on on populations.
0: So, is Arctic resource development overhyped? Um, will development proceed slower than we maybe thought uh, three to four years ago?
1: Well, with with the the very you know no low law knowledge I have on on let's say the North Canada region that I you know I've 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 been there many times and I've I've understood a bit the economic dynamics there. This this eventually looks like the place where you know development will advance forward pretty quickly, uh, but then there's sometimes some contradiction realities where you you think that it will develop quickly, but then all of this de- development is is dependent on you know future future market conditions that will. Open up some regions in in the Nordic countries to mining activities, and then you've got all of the fiascos around that, and some some people who just don't want more mining. So I, I'm not really sure what what will happen in in you know let's say um, in the North Kalut region uh, in in the short term. You know, tourism is is always a driving industry there, so that that is continuing to grow and development will follow that. I think there'll be more tourism um in in the uh the uh, western part of Canada's Arctic in Alaska. Will there be more mining activity? I think uh Canada is is a mining place, and yes, mining will continue um um and then we have a government who wants to see more development, not sure what kind of development in a region or nation building perspective that is, but there's definitely an interest like never before. Um, I think that the whole discussion right now is around uh, actually planning the territory and, and trying to figure out how we plan development. And that means uh, trying to create conditions where uh, private investors could actually be interested in, in, uh, in, uh, in, uh, in uh, sitting down there and, and, uh, and investing in these regions. Um, that, that just that is a huge obstacle uh, in in the Canadian Arctic perspective. For example, uh, we have difficulties in you know in the provincial norths of Canada to get proper infrastructure for uh, economic uh, development. So when I think about the Canadian Arctic, um, I, I am less optimistic and more pessimistic, um, and it will all depend on on what the market will decide eventually. Will climate change change that uh, from the North American perspective? I, I think in the in a, a uh, in the long term it will. In the short term, uh, changes are, are maybe not uh, big enough here um, for, for this to actually be a game changer right now, but we'll see eventually. I'm guessing right now, like many people are guessing, I think there's more serious people who have done some Uh, some other kinds of assessments, but I have not read anything that uh, is indicative of a major, major um, new kind of development paradigm in the North American Arctic. You could have on Baffin Island, you know, a new mine that is for one tiny spot on Baffin Island. Uh, We'll touch a couple of people, some jobs, uh, and we're talking about, you know, just a couple of hundred people, maybe fly in, fly out. For me, that is not a huge change for the Canadian Arctic. So in the long term, there'll be more activities, but uh, uh, we'll have to see what happens then.
0: Well, thank you again, Joel, for taking the time today to to speak to us. We always enjoy talking to you, and we look forward to uh, continuing the conversation in the near future. Thanks for joining us for this podcast. Uh, follow along with the series on iTunes or on our website, thearcticinstitute.org. The music you heard at the beginning and at the end of the podcast is by Heber Zephrin and can be found at ccmixter.org.